Welcome to Hire Everybody. Or welcome back to Hire Everybody, the podcast where we help you reach higher in your career and learn with and from experts in recruitment, entrepreneurship, marketing, and many more about what it takes to become a leader in your dream industry. But first, Tom, I want to hear that jingle. Yes. You know how I love sport? Yep, I did notice. You know what else I love? Me? Sometimes. Rude. What then? <laughs> Rhinos and giraffes. Charismatic megafauna? Mm-hmm. So you do love me. Thomas. Today's guest has done what I have dreamt of for many years as a child and as a teenager. She has become a successful nature conservationist on the African continent, working her magic to preserve the beauty of nature for future generations. I used to see people like her on TV all the time. Yes, Tom, absolutely. Today's guest is the one and only Krista Cullen, MBE, Olympic bronze and gold medalist, consultant, coach and the founder of the Tufatu Foundation which does all things nature conservation, people empowerment and magic. Here to tell us about her career and how you too can have one in nature conservation. Yes, let's go get it. We've got Krista Cullen in the virtual studio. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Krista, for joining us here today. It's so exciting to have you on because we've, you know, I've known you for quite a few years and it's great to have you on the show. Um, but we'd love you to tell the audience a bit more about yourself and especially your big journey from athletes, all other things to wildlife conservation. So if you could give us a, a elevator pitch up the Tom normally says up the Empire State Building, but it doesn't have to be that long. But if you could tell <laughs> the, the audience a little bit more about yourself, be wonderful. Cool, no problem. Um, thanks, Nix and Tom for having me having me on your on your show. Um, and just I guess to sort of place me a little bit and sort of the background elements. I um, I'm actually third generation Kenyan, so that might sort of connect the the wildlife mm. element in nice and early. But um, uh, my early years were spent here at home in Kenya, but uh, I then got sent away to boarding school uh, by my parents to give me sort of opportunities, both educational and, and of course, sport. And uh, I wasn't so good at the former, so thankfully the latter sort of took off for me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, I managed to sort of make a few friends through sport and my, my, my career kind of excelled um through through the hockey sphere uh like yours next and um and sort of found myself um in in the sort of county setup uh midlands and then into international scene i played 16s 18s 21s and then quite early uh for england and great britain i found myself being called up whilst at university studying business management um to get in the squad to go to Beijing, uh, sorry, to go to Athens, uh, the Athens Olympics, um, wow. which unfortunately the Great Britain women didn't qualify for, which is all another story. So I actually come from failure and that I think makes me quite grounded. Um, but as a 17, 18 year old whippersnapper in the team then to then culminating in, in three Olympic Games, Beijing, London and Rio, um, London, uh, Beijing, we unfortunately didn't make the semis, uh, which was such a disappointment. But London, we managed to, to to win our last game and get that bronze medal or that medal we were we were hunting, even though we really wanted gold. And then finally in Rio, um, culminating in a pretty cool team performance um, and team journey, really to to be able to to win that elusive medal we'd hunted, or a number of us, three of us from from non qualification in Athens through to through to getting gold in in Rio. It was quite a journey. Um, and then from there, I guess I sort of used my athlete voice off the back of getting getting gold to be able to leverage that as best I could to to bring my two worlds together sport and conservation and I launched a charity called the Tafauti Foundation which Tafauti in Swahili which is my native tongue back in Kenya means difference so all of this has been about you know making a difference and making an impact so I'm I um, I'm now fully fully immersed in, in as being the founder of that charity. We're now three years down the line and and sort of making an impact on the African continent in in every which way I, I possibly can. Uh, the issues are complex, which I'm sure we'll go into. Uh, but this is all about sort of under immersion, understanding the 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 detail and and trying to make a difference. So that's kind of where I am now. 
I'm so impressed. I mean, I was impressed when I met Nikki. Now I'm even more. The more people Nikki brings on from a sports environment, I just I can't believe all the different journeys that um, all of you are launching from your um, what was it, whippersnatcher? Whippersnapper. Whippersnapper from the from being a whippersnapper to doing all these wonderful things in the world. Um, so, dear audience member, if you have been listening to the show a little bit in the past, this is not news to you. But we have asked Krista to retain some of her most prized possessions in terms of tools and methods through which she is um, active and successful in her nature conservation and also um, societal sustainability work until the end of this episode so that you can stick around with us and um, listen all the way until the end. So let's get straight into it, Krista. The main event, you are, to my mind anyways, one of these mythical wildlife conservationists and I love this kind of work so much. So the Tofauti Foundation, what is it? Um, what does it aim to achieve and why did you create it in the first place? Um, it's, well, the reason I created it was because I wanted to make an impact. So, uh, and that's, that, that kind of unites me and, and the amazing team that I have working with me, uh, for Tafauti. But our, our main mission is around, uh, communities and wildlife and they're so heavily intertwined. You know, we watch, we watch things on, uh, on Netflix or David Attenborough and you mm. sort of see these pristine, this pristine wildlife environments and, uh, I wish I could tell you it's always like that, um, you know, uh, where there's there's no sort of communities or, or tribe, tribes in and amongst, living in and amongst wildlife. But that's not the reality. The reality is, you know, over 70% of wildlife species actually live outside national parks. Um, so human and wildlife coexistence is a really, really real thing. Mm. Um, and so what we try and do is is work with communities and, and work with wildlife species to be able to to sort of help that harmony between the two and we have some dedicated things for, for wildlife and we have some dedicated things for communities. But that's kind of our, our mission is, you know, how do we help communities and wildlife both prosper in, in a world where population expansion is huge? And uh, we're encroaching on the natural world quite heavily. And so we're trying to do our bit to make that as harmonious as possible. Yeah, absolutely. It must be uh, very challenging. I think this question will will answer that a little bit. Can you, it's too parts right so can you make us dream a little bit what are the amazing things you do and what are the things that are really <laughs> I'm coughing a little bit here um <clears throat> what are the amazing things that you do but what are the also the challenges that you have like there's obviously really really tough things that you have to see and go through so can you tell us a bit of both yeah I mean it's 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 dif difficult to almost make the UK or, or areas or Europe connect really with African problems. So that's kind of quite a complex thing is how do you make people care about wildlife when you don't necessarily see it? Now, I've been mm. on a you know, I went on a run this morning and I had a journey of 16 giraffe run across in front of me. But, <laughs> and that's very normal in my world. But um, because I live on a conservancy and I'm so heavily privileged to have those kind of opportunities. Now, that's not normal for other people. So how do I take people on on that journey to make them feel that they can help? Um, and feel that it, this is not just an exchange of finances. And I think that's, that's also, I think, where we cut our cloth with Tafauti. Our, our jobs is about sustainability and a long-term journey that we want to take people on. Um, you know, so whilst, yes, okay, we do do fundraising, this is about sort of getting under the skin of problems. And an example of this, should I say, is... Um, we, we do an event, uh, um, a chari charitable thing with uh, a partner of ours called Savo Trust, who uh, are based in, in the Savo ecosystem, uh, which is the size of Wales for perspective. And basically, you cannot fence those huge, vast areas um, for wildlife. Um, and so what we're trying to do is work with community members who are on the border of the national park. And we basically... Uh, community nominate those members consistently up against human wildlife conflict issues so on average they were getting hit once a day by their crops getting eaten by wildlife mm -hmm. or their water getting stolen or whatever it may be and so retaliation is a very natural thing um, yeah. when you've got a family to feed mm -hmm. so what we do is we fence 10 percent of their land and inside that fence it's a solar system Inside that fence, they have their shamba, which is their small garden for, for vegetables, etc. that they grow. Um, they have their homestead and they have their livestock by night. So basically, we can protect 
the people and all of their commodities. And then the 90% of the land is left to fallow. So humans and wildlife and everybody can almost live harmoniously. But the important part of that is that they realise that provision is because of the wildlife that they've been offered it. So now they have a positive experience with wildlife rather than necessarily a negative one. So we're trying to change the narrative. I think this sensational work, because again, you mentioned the, the David Attenborough um, um, documentary styles, where it just seems that there's not two sides to the same coin, but it's only, you know, nature, 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 and then humans have to somehow be, you know, somewhere on the outskirts, but it just doesn't work like this. And if you want to talk about sustainability, you need to look at not only the ecosystem, but also the social system that is enmeshed within it. So I'm really loving that your foundation is taking such a wonderful stance towards it. Um, we want to give our listeners a bit of an idea of what it means to work in nature conservation. How do you get started? I, as a child, always had this dream because I used to see these documentaries on TV and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, running around, there's giraffes that you just said, you know, sprinting away in front of you. Um, but also what sustainability means in the different settings and in different contexts. So for you and where you are, and I think you've alluded to this already, but I really would love to have that as sort of like a crisp punchline. What is sustainability to you, Krista? I think it's really difficult because sustainability is a word that is thrown mm. around a lot nowadays, um, no matter what sphere and everybody in the current climate, um, you know, where ESG and a lot of sort of um, social environmental impact stuff has become a um, sexy environment now uh, for everybody to operate in. So I think it's quite difficult to actually put into words what does sustainability mean, mm. but I think in my world, it means no firework displays. Um, and by that, I mean quick fix solutions mm. that don't necessarily take into account the complexity of what the issue may be. Um, what historically, my, my view, um, and this is solely my opinion, is that we have gifted aid to Africa uh, in a whole host of different ways. And whilst that has solved issues in the short term for um for africa whether that's food or whether that may be you know whatever whatever the the incident water provision it, it isn't always a solution that creates resilience amongst the people or the wildlife mm. and that therefore doesn't make it sustainable i mean we can't continue to gift money and support to Africa, especially currently where, you know, the focus is at home or a local food bank or whatever it may be, because everybody's struggling right now yeah. in the current climate. So sustainability to me means not solving a problem short term. Uh, whilst there's a quick fix solution, which I don't necessarily condone, I do also think there needs to be a visionary uh, mission that, that's affiliated to something through a long-term engagement that actually takes people or wildlife on a journey of togetherness, of partnership, mm. of engagement that then supports and nurtures whatever the complexity of the issue is in order to basically get an output. It isn't the firework display. It isn't uh, sort of take glossy photos, fill a brochure, tell everybody how great you are and what you've achieved to guarantee more funding. Mm. And that has been our history. That has been where we come from. And, and that needs to change in order for us to start coming, like bringing in fundamental change. I think this is a genius way to think about this. Um, and you mentioned a wonderful word that is just not used often enough in the sustainability and conservation community, which is resilience, right, of um, communities, of ecosystems, um, which means to enable them to long-term support themselves without the actual... The, the point of funding is to no longer need funding at some point in the future. We've just seen this last exactly. year with COVID being on the rise. Um, and so the Gavi, the Global Vaccine Alliance, um, they took the vast majority of the international um, replenishment part so for anybody out there doesn't know what this is it just it's the bulk of money that comes from philanthropic um, donations or governments into not-for-profit organizations around the world and so all of a sudden the money tap had dried up mm. and so systems that were not self-sufficient to that point really started to suffer quite a bit so thank you for pointing that out fantastic 
Yeah, and you mentioned as well, Krista, sustainability. It's really a word, right? And it's like a really a buzzword right now. Um, But Tom always talks about the concept of people, planet, profit and purpose. So joining them all together a bit more. And and especially that word sustainability, it's hard for people to understand what it really is, right? And we just wanted to understand a little bit more about what aspects of sustainability are similar or what can be brought into business and how businesses can help and be a bit more than just going, oh, we're sustainable. Like what else is there, especially in the business world? Yeah, I think it's it's really valid. And, and I guess I'm naturally through what I was doing in London, um, sort of in between the Olympics and, and returning home when COVID hits back to Kenya, I was sort of transitioning transitioning businesses um, around their strategic objectives. So I guess that kind of maybe places me a little bit for everybody listening into why potentially um, I could have an opinion on this, um, but also around, you know, being very real. And I think I think sometimes, you know, around our objectives that we set as businesses, um, around culture, around how we want to develop our, 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 our purpose or our way forward, I think we have to be real about how we go about achieving that. And sometimes it's about habit formation. Mm. Uh, and I think sometimes we forget the connectivity between how do we develop a habit? It's through routine, which we know very well through being athletes <laughs> of repeti- repetitively mundane movements and having to do them again and again <laughs> before they become something that's genuinely natural for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a drag flicker, that was kind of all I did was 150 <laughs> drag flicks a day just to get one chance in the Olympic Games in order to have a chance to put the ball at goal. It worked though, didn't it? once or twice Nick um but but you know I think sometimes in the business world because we're so busy and because we become so profitability and turnover focused um I think we sort of lose sight of of the journey and how we potentially get ourselves there and the current climate taken into consideration I think we've all taken a step back and started to realize you know what we have to leave this place, this world better. And Mm. there's been a lot of discussion around over the next decade, we have a chance and that's a small chance, but a chance nonetheless to make some changes, um, both to ourselves individually, whether that's, you know, uh, uh, eco-nutrition, you know, understanding your, the miles that your food travels in order to reduce your carbon, your carbon footprint or recycling. But actually as a business, you know, what, what are our, problematic areas around social or environmental impact and and how do we all buy in collectively together as a community and start building this team view on 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 all of us taking individual and collective responsibility in order to bring about fundamental change and that's the only way once we make these habits and they become natural for us so we don't take shortcuts and they're just ingrained in our daily lives that's when it becomes sustainable because that's when we actually are bringing about you know change over a longer period and that and that's when we can start we can start making a change and that's for business as well as our own our own personal lives I love how you brought that in you you said it so well like as an athlete you had to make those you know those extra errors those trainings adding them up putting them in the bank because you knew you couldn't just go into an Olympic gold medal match and score a goal without having done all of those steps all those years actually Krista um, all of those years built up the ups and downs and and I think we you can't businesses don't see that they see they want it quickly they want quick and I think in general as people we we're into that now, right? It's like, I want it now. I want it now, but just can't do it. And that doesn't happen. Right. Mm. So it's really interesting that you brought that up. And I think having athletes, more athletes in business as well is really critical because we bring in those experiences that the company goes, Oh, actually, maybe if we do slow down a little bit and do those steps, it will all be better in the end. Yeah. We live in a world of instant gratification, Mm -hmm. like uh, our social media platforms, uh, everything's accessible on the internet. No matter where you are, I can be in deepest, darkest Africa here and still (laughs) get onto Google. You know, it's, it's fascinating how our worlds have, have evolved now into that. And we've lost the grittiness. Mm -hmm. We've lost, um, you know, the, the, the personal, um, touch, which athletes, genuinely have to have if they're going to make it um because it's it's not fun all the time so those gut-wrenching fitness sessions that we have to do I mean they they're awful but they they actually 
show character. And I think, you know, this, this is a reflection on all of us as humans. You know, we have to, at times, be gritty. And I love that word because we lose sight of it because stuff is not always roses. Uh, mm. Things are not always perfect. But the people who are gritty are the ones I want to be in the trenches with. They're the team players that I know will find that little percentage when the chips are down and we need to make a difference. And, and that in the business environment, that when it comes to winning um, a massive sales pitch or whatever it is, those are the people I want alongside me mm-hmm. that are going to think outside the box, that are going to be creative, that are going to you know, have psychological safety and not be afraid of, of taking a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those guys, that's the important bit. And that's what we're losing. And we need to, to hold on to that and get it back. That's a sensational point. You know, we, we talk about this with many of our guests all the time. You need to be clear on what you want out of whatever it is that you're doing at the moment so that that vision and that goal mindset can pull you through some of these tough moments and you still know that it's actually worth it. Speaking about worth it, I always love to listen to podcasts that are also a bit like, you know, they have like a technical segment to them. Because if there's anybody out there listening to this and this whole month is dedicated to work and sustainability and impact and social welfare that has always been dreaming about doing this kind of wildlife conservation and um, and uh, social sustainability work that you do, let's give them, you know, a little bit of something to chew on and maybe help them along um, on their way. It is such a mind-bogglingly vast environment. It's so complex. It's so hard to figure out where to actually start. So let's break it down for our audience a little bit. You know, what were your very first steps in creating Tofauti? Um, well, my first steps were taking a gamble. And I guess having listened to the first bit, that doesn't come as a surprise. Um, so I was lucky enough after the London Olympics um, to have um, have secured a little bit of funding, which, of course, as a, as a hockey player, we're, we don't always have. But I had some money in the bank that I was... Uh, wanting to use in an effective way uh, and so what I did was it sounds so stupid now now that I talk about it I um, <laughs> I put all the money I had in the world down uh, at the Hurlingham Club which is a prestigious uh, place down down in Putney Bridge to host an event called the Conservation Ball and I wanted to host an event because I'd spoken to a lot of people within my network which I was lucky enough to to, to get um, around this is what I want to do and how I want to do it and and everybody was was like yeah yeah we'll support you but you know as humans we're great at sort of talking and not always great at following through so I said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna host this event I'm gonna try and sell tables to corporates and individuals and then see whether I can muster a few people to come along uh, and um, and do some fundraising Thankfully, uh, I managed to find one or two friends and a few people rocked up um, at the <laughs> evening and we were able to launch to Fauci. We had 300 pe- 350 people there and we raised over 100 grand on the night. Um, it was amazing. And it, it, was, it was an event with a difference. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to go to a lot of black tie uh, mm. events, but, you know, they're a bit samey and they're a bit mm. boring uh, without meaning to be rude. Um, you know, but what I wanted was a black tie safari chic theme. So everyone came up a little bit dressed up, which for a posh uh, place was kind of the irony of the whole thing. Um, and it was just different. It was fun. It was engaging. It was uh, unique. There were singers. That, it was just, you know, tribal dancers. It was just different for London. And that created a lot of engagement and I had some really amazing mates of mine I've met in the sports industry all hosting tables which wasn't an expectation it was just they were there they happened to be there so you arrive and Stuart Broad's hosting your table which is a bit of a surprise and and so you exceed expectations and that's a massive uh, psychological advantage that you get Mm. over people then ply them with lots of alcohol and then hope (laughs) to god they put their hand in the air and uh and um and sort of buy some of the some of the things that are on offer, which is obviously how we how we were able to secure some funding. And off that basis, Tefauti was launched, um, which was a punt. It was me taking a chance, me putting my head on the block and saying, let's see if this can be something. Mm. It sounds so glamorous, <laughs> but I'm sure it wasn't right. It was a lot of hard work. And as you said, a big gamble, but amazing that Anna Tom is always laughing at me. The amount of people we know through sport is just incredible. Yeah, sport is Big but small, if you know what I mean. We can always find people uh, to come along, which is amazing. But as I said, it was glam, a glam start. But 
it's a foundation. Can you tell us in the audience a bit more about what exactly a foundation is and how you started it? So on the foundation, I, I basically, to be honest, Nikki, learnt on the job. Um, it's one of those things that until you throw yourself in and immerse, you're never really going to know how it, mm. how it all works. So that's basically what I did. So I, uh, um, I set it up under what's called the Masters Charitable Trust, the MCT, which is part of Hawes Bank, which is one of the biggest privately owned banks uh, in UK. So they've been hugely supportive of me. So I'm not necessarily a foundation or a charity in my own right at the moment, but I am looking in my sort of, you know, next steps, 18 months or so, looking to to possibly be a charity foundation in our own right, mm-hmm. uh, working with the Charities Commission, uh, which has its own complexities. Um, but that's kind of something that myself and my team are, are working towards. As you say, it started very glamorously and, um, you know, I I found it hugely stressful running an event (laughs) where I'd put everything I had in the world down. Um, But it it did get the output that we wanted, which is to get this this um, environment uh, where I was able to utilize the money and get every penny that we raised in UK into the ground in Africa. And that's really important for me because that journey or the way in which that transitions, you know, a pound in UK can go so far here in Africa. Mm. Um, and so it's about the value chain and also the feedback loop to our, to our donors. Um, and that's where the authenticity and, um, you know, us being transparent and all of those things which give us, I think, our unique space within the charity sector um we have historically the charity sector has had a lot of skepticism and i wanted to be very clear that throughout this journey i wanted to make sure that every penny i earned um was a, was able to reap benefits and so that feedback loop to our donors is is so heavily important for me but the setup and and getting going and all of those things i i wish i could tell you it was more glamorous than a lot of administrative work a lot of um strategic decisions around your five-year plans and business plans and all of that so it's very I've, i run it like a business and i think that's quite unique in the charity sector too you know mm. it's it's like right when we get funding how do we make it uh reach uh fundamental issues on the ground and the complexities taken into consideration and we make it we make it work this is so great the way that you speak about this it, it, even to my mind and i've been in this space at least academically speaking for you know a decade but you're really demystifying how to get started and what it actually is this is not some sort of mythical creature that is exclusive to the few if you have roots in an authentic cause and wherever you want to get active then you know what it takes is taking the plunge being brave mobilizing your network plying, plying it with alcohol being really entertaining and <laughs> yeah. you know sorting out um the administrative piece of it but google is always there for you and the other bit obviously i love this point it's in the end of the day also a business you know this is about financial transactions to you know help a greater good so you need to also think about it like that because everybody that you will be talking to that you're asking to part with their money they will think about their returns and the returns are emotional Mm -hmm. right i get to do something good so that's awesome we always see these like big philanthropy giants in the news. Think Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates, Bono, Sir Richard Branson. But we rarely hear the stories of, you know, local heroism and implementation. So I'd love for you to tell us a bit more about how you work with um, um, with local and regional communities and individuals to um, drive these programs forward. Yeah, I mean, there's some big players in this space. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Uh, and and everybody everybody has done a lot of good. So um, you know, and we did a Tefati podcast series, and I was speaking to some of the big players in the space around conservation, and I found it, you know, hugely enlightening uh, and learning a lot from them. And so I don't think we're a finished product, and I think that's also really important um, to just, I guess, be the realist in the room. Um, but I do think we we have a unique space, and being small and being nimble. Uh, I think has ma- ma- like massive value. So you've got people like Tusk who operate in our space, mm. um, who are big players working uh, across the continent in a multitude of different countries, and they have huge numbers of projects all working in unison. And I think they bring about amazing impact. So I think the first thing about Tafauti's structure is around us being small, 
and us being um, proactive, but also can react if required to do so. Uh, and that's a very luxurious position that I think we're in. Also, we've got the heritage through my backgrounds and things sort of being third generation Kenyan. I guess there's kind of this understand depth of understanding of the complexities here, um, which if you take the time and the effort to sit underneath the coconut tree and discuss with the communities, you know, we think we know the solutions or historically, should I say, we think we've known the solutions for Africa's problems. And um, sometimes we, we don't live them every day. We don't live these issues uh, like they do every day. So what gives us the right to think we know better? Just because it might be a solution that works in one location, it doesn't necessarily make it completely transferable to another. What we have to do is, is listen and invest time. And that's where I think, you know, we've gone for the quick fix NGO policies in the past their traction on the continent i think what we need to do is is immerse understand take the people with us on a journey to say right how do we help how do we solve these problems in a way that creates buy-in from them and they come on the journey with us and then we actually bring about fundamental change um but it, it it's it takes time tom and that's that's the biggest problem is that everybody is so busy rushing trying to get stuff done that it's not always easy to offer it the time for the complexities of the issues. Mm. So take, take you back to that 10% fence plan that I was explaining at the start. You know, we, we, we put these, these fences in. We did three as like a placebo uh, just to check. And we've had a 2,000% increase in yield of wow. people's crops. Wow. Um, and that's since November's granted, granted in that there's been some amazing rains in the area, which has obviously helped the yield. But they're not getting you know, elephants coming in and taking everything overnight because of the fence. And Patrick, one of the gentlemen who owns uh, one of the plots of land, uh, he owns um, 30 acres and we fenced three acres of his land, which he now lives in with his family. He came up to me, gave me a huge hug. This is the, the human side, I guess, which people can relate to and said, I made my, I made my uh, cup of tea this morning. And when I got up, I looked out around the fence and the leopard that kept coming in and eating my goats every night walked along the fence line and couldn't penetrate us and couldn't get in to eat my goats. And it was sort of early morning as the sun was coming up. And he would say, you know, I've, I've had this battle for years. It's been a constant issue and suddenly I don't have this anymore. Mm. You know, those, those are the little wins um, that we're able to get. But that's because we're small and nimble and able to, to, to spend the time. Uh, and it's a, it's very much a luxurious position. It's such a mind-boggling thing. Even in the conservation community, there's competition. It's so strange. You know, it's what is the best solution? What is the most worthwhile solution to pursue? Should it be long-range, mid-range, short-term? And to my mind, we need to expand our brains a little bit and understand that all of these solutions are important. Something as simple yet hard to like operationally implement as a fence can have a huge impact right, as will eventually have um, more, generally speaking, more ecosystem resilience and um, social community resilience, which takes more time to build. I would just yeah. wish for people to abandon this idea of mm -hmm. it's A or B. No, it needs to be A and B. Mm -hmm. So wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing. And it's also looking after the animals, right? Because I don't know, we didn't really go into it, but like what would have happened if Patrick had caught that cheetah or you know what I mean like if he like what happens with the animals that are attacking do the, the people obviously um attack back I guess right in in certain certain cases so you're you're looking after the animals too right yeah so the solution I guess our motive is ultimately the animals um but the 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 fundamentals are that people have to live in harmony with the animals so yeah exactly in that in that scenario retaliation is a reality uh whether that's snaring or spearing or shooting or whatever it may be you know that that's that's a constant threat to wildlife species and and we're talking about wildlife species who are on the endangered list you know it's it's very real and only when you live it and are you immersed in it do you realize how real it is because patrick has a has a family to feed he has you know kids to educate and um you know kids to feed so we have to work with him in order to make these solutions and so he will retaliate and I, and i understand why he retaliates because he's desperate he's desperate to keep these people and his family protected and i would do the same 
So how do you take that away from him? How do you stop him having to do that? You build a provision for him or alongside him. And then you tell him the reason this fence is here is because of the elephants. Mm -hmm. It's because of the wildlife that we're wanting to support you because we don't want you to retaliate. So now they have a positive relationship with the wildlife because they're protected because of the wildlife. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different narrative. But to your point, Nick, around um, wildlife and, and what Tafauti does, I'm, I'm using an example of, of a human and wildlife um, community that we are heavily involved in. That's one of our projects. We also do out-and-out out wildlife provision projects. So the roan antelope in Kenya is an endangered species. Um, we only actually have 13, one, three <gasps> left in Kenya oh uh, in Ruma National Park. Um, and so what we've done is we strategically partnered with Old Pejita and uh, the Kenya Wildlife Service in order to build a rehabilitation area for the Rhone to start to, to hopefully uh, reproduce in a, in a safe environment to start actually um, rejuvenating the numbers and we've done things like built troughs and you have to also understand how the animal works so roan males fight to the death for territory so we had to actually Men. separate these troughs far enough away from each other so that they didn't actually come up against each other because we don't want the only two breeding males to kill each other um so um there's a lot of sort of strategic stuff and then that's the first phase and then hopefully a second phase will be around trying to you know regenerate the pool uh, the genes the gene pool through either importing roan from abroad or transferring across our borders with our Ugandan or Tanzanian uh, borders in order to try and you know plump up the numbers and and try and try and recover a species so that's out and out species dedication mm -hmm. and then we do some very much human wildlife stuff which is obviously the 10% plan that mm -hmm. I that I alluded to Wow, so much there. <laughs> Rome wasn't built in a day either and not by one person. So maybe you can go in a bit more detail. You talk about building uh, wall or building fences, digging, everything. So how do you staff yourself then? You've got a, a quite a range of, uh, but you also said you're quite small still, but you must have certain people who do certain things or do you all just get stuck in as you've probably alluded to already? Yeah, I, I guess I surround myself with doers and, and I'm so lucky. Like my team, my team are insane. They're, they're just ninjas and, I, and they, you know, they all have full time jobs. Um, we're all volunteers uh, and I want to kind of keep it that structure if I can, because I think culturally it changes if somebody comes on the books or mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Um, and literally, I mean, some of these guys have really high powered jobs and, um, and they find the time. And I, and I find that so inspiring. Uh, and to be able to lead people uh, in that environment, I think, I think is is very privileged position that I find myself in. Mm. Um, but also, you know, I've got a, my main role is around uh, finding the projects uh, and understanding, I guess I've kind of got that, that the African sort of side. So mm -hmm. that's kind of my main role alongside obviously fundraising and this and that. And, and I kind of flirt over all of the different areas. But my, my team, um, as I say, are, are massively dedicated. And uh, we work weekends, we work evenings, uh, we try and fit our families in between. Um, yeah, and it's just because we care. And I think if your morals aligned and your purpose is aligned, a bit like, you know, when you're in a sports team and, and you've got your eye on, 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 hopefully, if you're lucky enough, contending for an Olympic gold medal it gets you up in the morning. It makes you do that training. It makes you, you know, work really hard for each other. And I think if you can recreate that in whatever environment, business, charity, uh, et cetera, you, if you get a team of doers that all know how they fit. So everybody feels like they're a cog in the wheel. And without them, we're nowhere near going to be as successful as we'd like to be. And I think once people feel a part of a journey, a part of a community or part of something better than just them, I think it's a hugely inspiring team to be a part of. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be part of a few of them. And I'm trying to recreate that. And it doesn't matter what environment it is, whether it's charity or not. I, I think it, it can really make people make an impact. And that's what I'm hoping to create. I think this is sensational. You know the, which I keep saying, but this is one of my favorite, you know, um, episodes that we've ever recorded. 
You mentioned so many as the founder, you need to bring so many different skill sets into this, right? You've got all this tenacity, the sense for teamwork, the sense for also you know, being down in the trenches. It's raining, it's cold, but you're still snitching and snatching. I really don't know the lingo, but you know what I'm snitching saying. And snatching. Snitching and snatching. <laughs> I like it. It'll do. Snitching and snatching. Um, and then obviously your academic business background, all this network that you're leveraging, you know, so you're pulling from what you have. It's not something, you know, nature conservation is not something that is reserved for those that have, you know, the special access to is per se i feel like everybody can get involved based on what skills they already have whether they want to become a founder or whether they want to contribute as a volunteer in your organization for instance um which we will talk about a bit later because i'm sure that people in the audience are dying to know what they could do thomas I am. We've spoken about this in previous conversations already, but I want to talk a little bit about money because we spoke about it at the beginning. You just mentioned fundraising as well. How does that work and how do you go about it? And as much as you're allowed to talk um, about fundraising, it's one of the most visible elements of nature conservation. And even if done in a small scale or locally, if you have any tips for our listeners out there on how they can raise some money for a cause that they care about and make sure it goes to the right people. Now's the moment to tell them, Krista. <laughs> no pressure. Um, yeah, I think the truth is, Tom, is that this is this is one of the hardest parts. And I I have to say, I find it really difficult because the last thing I want to do is, you know, go around shaking a bucket in front of everybody saying, yeah. come on, give to the cause. So I try and make sure people get value um, or feel that they're going to get value if they do invest. Uh, and I do it through creating tentacles and my team laugh at me they're like right we're octopuses now and I'm like yes we have to be when it comes to (laughs) fundraising I think historically you you have to have lots of avenues um because funds dry up uh you know you if you're lucky enough to secure a big donor you know they they aren't always going to be able to give you huge amounts of money every every uh, few months you know it's not realistic so you know we talk about sustainability before and you have to sort of view it in the same notion what is sustainable around your fundraising platform um we got a springboard through the Tafauti conservation ball uh and that leveraged our success or has leveraged our success to date it's it doesn't stop there we're trying to build different different ways of of making money and we'll be adaptive in the current environment so one of which is very much the current one we're we're trying to launch a together for water initiative um which is based on people being active in our current environments and obviously that's my background which is called sport so how do you create an environment where everybody and anybody can take part in an event of a challenge and create community and all of that? And so that people feel part of contributing a distance, whether that's rowing, swimming, cycling or pushing your wheelchair, whatever it may be, everybody and anybody, you contribute towards uh, a distance that's going to try and get us from UK to Kenya mm. um, and we're trying to create coming out of lockdown. So you have to be creative here, Tom. That's what I, that's yeah. what I'm trying to allude to. You, you, you get creative given the, given the climate or the environment. And basically I'm saying, right, if we've, we've got a four week period, there's 6,000 miles to cover and everyone's in all in, whether that's corporates, uh, sports teams, uh, anybody and everybody, individuals, right, sign up and all just, you know, through your devices or, or manually inputting, put in your distances that you're all contributing to the cause. And it's it's a set fee to enter. And uh, we want people to feel fulfilled, active, get outdoors, get, you know, get in and amongst, amongst nature and indirectly be giving to uh, Africa in a simple commodity that we take for granted, and that being water. Mm. So you switch on your tap and water comes firing through. And that luxury is something we take for granted mm. in, in UK, in Europe, in the Americas. Um, but we can't take that for granted here in, in Africa. You know, a ridiculous over 700 million people are short of water. And, and we, can, we can help in our own way a small amount of different communities with water provision through this initiative. So it's focused fundraising, Tom. I think that's also really important. You know, you have, a, you have an output, you mm. focus your fundraising around it. And people, you then have the feedback loop of giving them information on what their money has achieved and that is how you guarantee continuity of engagement and that's that's our journey uh, that we go on to sort of complete that feedback loop that's it awesome 
As with so many things, Krista, network is really key. Um, and you've kind of shown that a lot already with your, your from your first ball that you had to, you know, a lot of the people who are contributing right now, even the volunteers um, that you have. But you kind of just mentioned it there as well. Like it's it's keeping that going as well, that network, not just going, reaching out to those people and going, hey, can we have some money? Uh, you know, it's, it's a relationship built, right? It's a, it's a lot more effort than that um, normally. Um, and also, I think... I'm sure you want more people and our listeners to kind of get involved and get into your network because I know for sure that they'll want to know more about this after listening to this. I do. <laughs> so what else can we do? What else can people listening do to get into your network and to help your foundation? Um, anyway, we basically have been really organic in our growth. And I think that's almost the bit I've been most proud of. Um, because as you say, Nikki, the, the world is, goes round through our networks, but it's also how you leverage and, and make people feel involved. So it's one thing reaching out and saying, hey, fancy funding us, uh, and very much another saying, do you know what that money actually did? And this is somebody you've helped or this is an animal that we found that was, you know, fallen in a, you know, in a well and we were able to, to get it out and, and reunite it with its mother. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are ways and means utilising our communication channels to make people feel valued beyond just a financial exchange. And that's so important if you want people to come on the journey with you and be authentic and be real. And that's where... I think Tafauti cuts its cloth is around us, you know, we, we're not always successful in all the projects we try and do, but I'll report on those just the same. Mm -hmm. I will say, hey, this is what happened. This is what I was trying to do. And actually, this is now, uh, you know, the 90 degree angle that we're on because this is now the way we're going to help this community or this wildlife species. So that's really important. How people can help, you know, I think through basically finding out more information about this sphere, Mm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot in the natural space at the moment and it's become part of all of our agendas. Uh, and so it should be. So, you know, fulfill yourself with information, you know, go out and research stuff, understand different things, you know, do some hard graft and, and work out what it is that you're really passionate about, um, before you decide which way or which, which direction you want to, you want to engage um, and we do, through our little system, we, we, we've got an allies program, so a Tafauti allies program. Um, and in this, I'm, I'm trying to basically get enthusiastic partners or people that are, are passionate about our causes to go out there and, and, and spread the word. So go out there and tell people about what we do and how we go about doing stuff and, you know, do a little fundraiser cycling cyclothon over the weekend or whatever it may be to do your little bit um, that can help. And that's sort of a, a sort of next gen or people sort of coming through that want to make a small impact, but can do it through doing stuff rather than necessarily um, just a financial exchange, which I alluded to. Mm -hmm. um, actually, you know, own the process, go, go for it and, and have the flexibility to be able to fundraise for, for causes that you're passionate about. And what I'm saying here is it doesn't have to be to fancy. Like, that's just something that I love and, and I'm passionate mm. about. What I'm saying is find something that makes you tick that is extracurricular that is outside of your work or sport or community or whatever it may be that gives you that balance I think that's what I've learned the most is that Tafauti has 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 fundamentally grounded me it makes me realize how lucky I am and I've learned that because through my sporting journey you know that was all built around success but did I actually feel fulfilled what I do now makes me feel fulfilled it makes me help others and, and that makes me feel, feel better about it. But if you want more information, you know, thefauti.org is a good place to sort of start, find out some information. I'm all, I'm all ears to see how I can help people grow in this mm. space as well. So um, if there's anything in that, that that you guys feel inspired to, to, to pick up the phone or, or get involved, then, then please do so. I think you already have helped me, at least, and I hope so many people out there listening just by being on the show, you know, officially. I mean, this is a career podcast. We're trying to help, but it's not just about getting the job that you want or having that dream career. It's what can you do um, to embody your values and to bring them with you where you are. That also means extracurricular activities. That means the cyclothon fundraiser that you've just mentioned. 
we want people to not just feel like they're stuck in the rut of their nine to five, but they've got so much more to give and to offer if they only have the passion and um, to do so and take the time. My mind is completely blown by all of the wonderful things that you've told us about today. We'll be sure to link your podcast and your homepage and your social and all of the wonderful stuff about you in Thank the you. show notes that are down below in the podcast player, audience member, wherever you're listening. Um, and you've given us so much to think about. Yes, absolutely. I love this. I love talking to you again, of course, as always, Krista. But at the start, we did ask you to keep some of your top tips on how to contribute or how people would like, if they would like to get into this area, um, if they would like to start a foundation, if they would like to just get involved. So can you give us those top three tips that you have saved till the end? <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of alluded to them a little yeah, bit true, throughout. Yeah, so, yeah. So, don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one realised. Um, yeah, so I, I guess my first one is kind of what I've already what I've already sort of said. Um, you know, find something that you feel is worth fighting for. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's so many worthy worthy causes out there, um, and and I think if you if it if it makes you tick. Uh, then invest time and effort into it, and then it, it can be a pretty pretty phenomenal journey. Um, and then I think don't always knee jerk. I think is something uh, that that I've primarily the guys who take the limelight or take the headlines, uh, whether that's in the charity sector or in the business sector or whatever. You know, um, I think it's all built around passion, um, and so take the time to research, get involved, uh, immerse. I use that word a lot. Immerse yourself in environments mm -hmm. and don't be afraid of, of hitting a cul-de-sac and coming back out again and going, nah, not for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I say that in sport as well, mm -hmm. you know, try other sports, do something else. Um, and, and you never know, like something might, might suddenly, you know, spark something inside you. So don't be afraid of doing that. And, and when you're on, when you're on that journey, um, you know, engage would be my, my view on that is engage in the cause, engage in all of it, but commit and immerse and uh, don't be afraid of stuff. And things will go wrong, but that's also very normal. Um, so don't beat yourself up. Um, things aren't perfect, but if you unify yourself in a purpose or a direction or alongside uh, an able team or something you're passionate about, then it can, it can be really fulfilling. And, and I've been lucky enough to find that after sport, which is, which is not always an easy thing to do. Uh, and a lot of athletes sort of feel quite lost coming out of, um, out of career. And I've been quite lucky that I've had continuity of, of, of something that's kind of followed my career with me. <laughs> Uh, even to, to what I do today professionally. I mean, I've talked about Tafauti the whole time, uh, which is my charitable arm, my volunteering arm. But actually, as a job, I do uh, impact investments uh, into the sustainability and, and ECG se sectors. So that's exactly um, you know, what I want to build my career in. So you never know, it can, it can transcend your journey. It's wonderful. And also, what an immersive experience talking to you today. This was episode 14 of Hire Everybody um, with Krista Cullen. Krista, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdoms with us. No problem. What an unbelievable session. Thanks, Krista, again, even though we said thank you a million times. Um, it really was incredible. And we hope our listeners are going to get on board with some of the initiatives that you have. Next week, we have our very special episode where it's normally just us two crazy kids. But this time we have a guest, author of a fantastic book called The Lost Art of Connecting, an all-round superstar. So please join us there. Until then, let's go get it.